to the latest edition of the River Report. I am your host, Jake Summersheim. With me, as always, is Mikey Fornelli. Jake, how you doing? Uh, I'm here. Not so good of a game last night. Nope. But uh, before I get into that, we also have a couple guests. Uh, Eric Schweizer is returning today. And then we also have a very special guest, ISU super fan, Carter Evans. Carter, how's it going? I'm thrilled to be here. You guys do great work. Appreciate that, Carter. But, uh... We want to talk about a lot of men's basketball with you, but first let's let's touch on some volleyball. Uh, big last weekend for the Redbirds. Yep. I mean, last weekend we saw the Redbirds at uh, Valpo and Loyola, um, and unfortunately on Saturday night against Loyola, they, they, they did not win, meaning Loyola takes at least a share of the MVC regular season title. So at this point, Friday's game against Bradley is mostly a battle for the two seed. If Loyola completely gives up and loses against Drake and uh, you and I, then all of a sudden it could be a tie for the one seed. But more than likely, Loyola will get one win this weekend, and then the winner of Bradley and Illinois State will take the two seed in the tournament, which is pretty big in itself because that means you don't have to play on the first day of Thanksgiving. So whether or not it matters because it's Thanksgiving, you just don't want to play an extra game if you don't have to. So say Loyola loses both of their games and ISU beats Bradley. They'd have the same record. Who wins the tiebreaker since they split the that, series? I was wondering the same thing. I It's going to have to come down to... I have no idea what the... I'm sure there's a, some kind of ladder of tiebreakers that it comes down to. Um, or maybe it's just some kind of home thing. I mean, I know it is at Redbird Arena. I don't know, Eric. I don't know if you have any idea either. I, I don't know. Yeah, at that point, <clears throat> it might have to do with, like, conference, like with non-conference records or something like that. There's probably some deep stats that they'll dive into and if that's the case Loyola played a bunch of teams that they were easily handled early in the season so like they have a really good record I think they've lost like six games all year it might even be record against the rest of the well I guess against the rest of the comments with 13-5 but maybe yeah I'm thinking maybe it could be out of conference which could hurt the Redbirds all things considered because they played in the some season, tough people yeah they wanted to play tough opponents maybe it's like how how many sets they won in each game, but that Could doesn't be. do anything either because they both won in four sets. <laughs> wins. And yeah. so the other thing I thought of maybe it's like strength of their wins slash losses. Could be because like I know they do that in the NFL. I for seeding, but like maybe if they lost to like because ISU had some bad losses this year. They probably shouldn't right. have lost to Indiana State. No, earlier in the season they had a couple bad losses. And then even that random Indiana State game at the end of that win streak, yeah. like you're saying, yeah. And then the sweep to Evansville, that was pretty rough. Uh, for the actual tournament itself, Thursday there will be two games, 3.30 and 6. If you're on campus Friday, 3.30 and 6 as well. And then the championship is on Saturday at 4. Um, I have a feeling if ISU gets that two seed, we might see a Loyola-ISU rematch on Saturday in the championship. Of course, that was last season's championship and then a rematch as of Saturday. So I think that could be really good. Loyola is pretty strong, um, and we knew that would be the case. They had a young team that made the championship last season. But they, they struggle here at Redbird. Yeah. Like they, they got handed their first conference loss this season here at Redbird Arena. They lost last year in the conference championship in four sets. They don't play very well here. They're much better mm-hmm. at home when they play us. Yeah. I don't know what it is. They just don't like Redbird Arena. But they are very good, and they could definitely turn that around this year. At Loyola, they were just so good at attacking like 
every spot that they knew that there wouldn't be someone there. Like even Tamara Otene, who had like a career high offensively, she was getting like exposed defensively because they just kept hitting the same spot that she wasn't in. They really limited Kushner offensively. They did a good job. They were at the net the whole time. Loyola, I'm saying. So they did a really nice job. Uh, I think you guys have anything else for volleyball? Just, just this, just this Bradley game is absolutely massive. It's crucial. ISU beat them earlier in the year on the road when they were down two to yeah. one. They won two straight sets. You and I were there for that one. Uh, yeah. Big deal this weekend. They're gonna need some support. So I mean, if if you can make it, make right. it. Right. Because for a lot of people, this is the last chance you're gonna have to go watch. Because I mean, if myself included, many people are going home for Thanksgiving, and I don't think there's gonna be as many people in the crowd for the tournament as there might be. To our Friday night at Redbird. For sure. Uh, moving on, while we're talking about Lola, I wanted to mention uh, big news out of the out of Chicago yesterday. They announced that they're leaving the MVC. This kind of caught me off guard. What What do you guys think of it? You know, I I am not surprised they're leaving, but I did not expect them to go to the Atlantic Ten because it might have a few like stronger teams at the top, but I think their bottom teams are pretty similar to the ones in the Missouri Valley Conference, so I was maybe expecting a bigger jump, like not not the Atlantic 10. That completely caught me off guard, and I didn't think it happened this se- this soon. Yeah, I thought it was Big East or bust. I thought, I mean, they got to play, but the only problem with going to the Big East is they've been playing DePaul, and DePaul is obviously in Chicago, so... Yeah. I think the big, big East was probably a long shot, but the Atlantic Ten, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be a struggle recruiting for them. I think though, because it's oh, out, for sure. it's out way out east. I mean, it's going to be tough. We'll see. That I mean, travel makes, schedule for yes. them is going to be brutal. And it makes me wonder, like, what other conferences behind closed doors they were like negotiating with. Like, was this the fallback? Like, would they really have rather moved to the Atlantic Ten than stay in the Valley? I. I don't know. I mean, if they were really looking to move, I guess so. But uh, I, you know they must have at least been in contact with the Big East and stuff like that. Yeah. The only thing I could it makes sense for the Atlantic 10 is they get multiple tourney bids every year, and I feel like maybe they're just buying their time until they can go to the Big East. But even recently, the Valley's been getting multiple tourney bids, and now with Belmont coming in for sure and probably a few other teams that are, you know, are looking – I, I think that I'm just a little confused that they left instead of giving it a shot against Belmont, see if that like kind of strengthens it up, and then you know you don't have to win the tournament. You just have to have a really good season, and then the, the Valley is a two-bid team. Or... Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, like you said, there might be other teams joining soon, including Murray State, which obviously, I mean, I don't want to get into it before we start talking about it, but we saw them last night, and they're obviously a decent team year in and year out. So the competition in the Valley is getting better for Loyola had they have stayed. Yeah, the Valley runs deep. It really does. It does. Um, we already brought it up, so let's get into last night's 77-65 loss. Uh, I had one kind of big takeaway from this, and it has to do with the progression of the Redbirds. Um, I thought coming into this game, these two teams played a year ago, this is a good chance to see how far ISU has come if they've really progressed. And... They lost 77-65, and the year before they lost 76-65. So they really did not make much progress, so to say. But, I mean, they showed signs of improvement, I'd say. The second half was good. The first half was awful. But, uh, yeah. 
I think they still can't solve Ted down. I mean, he killed him last year at Lowry. He killed him again last night. I mean, I just feel like at some point questions need to be asked, you know, with the coaching. We'll see how it goes. But At what point, Carter, do you think that's going to come? Like mid-season? I mean, maybe, hopefully sooner or later. I mean, it's been... 10 years under Dan. There's been right. some success. There's been some, you know, not so right. great seasons. I mean, especially the last five years has gone downhill a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, ever since 2016, 2017. I mean, we, we talk about this on this podcast at least weekly, but I think we always go back to his quote about how he doesn't have any changed urgency this season in his 10th season after winning, you know, coach of the year five years ago, and now he's not really gotten anywhere since then. And it, it seems like he knows his job is secure, even under a new athletic director. Yeah, he's become uh, complacent for sure. Some, something that struck me in the post-game press conference is that <clears throat> he didn't say that they made one tiny adjustment at halftime. That's all they did. One very tiny adjustment. He said they really didn't change their game plan. They just wanted it more in the second half. That They just they were more hungry, they were uh, more alive, more into it. And so it doesn't even sound like he really was making adjustments at halftime for the, the team, but they did play a lot better. It just seemed like they weren't executing that first half. As far as this team, I think the ceiling is very high. Like, they got they got some playmakers. Uh, Freeman showed off his speed last night and his quickness, and even a little bit of a three-point jumper. So, you know... The ceiling's definitely high for this team. I, I just don't know if Muller can reach that full potential. Yeah, I mean, Reeves looks like a totally different guy from the last two years. He looks very much improved. I think he's getting NBA looks. We talked about that a little bit before. I mean, I'm very happy with the way he's looking, but it comes with other guys. I mean, Cy Chapman, he stepped up a little bit this year, but we need more guys to step up. It can't be just those two. You have to have a complete team in the Valley. I mean, you're completely right, and I, I noticed that specifically with Cy Chapman so far. I think I want to see a little bit more from Howard Fleming as the season keeps going, too. Uh, obviously, last night, no points. He didn't take a shot. Uh, three boards in 15 minutes. So he didn't have as much time as everyone else, but I think we expect a little bit more from him this season. I think he's just taking some time to get back into it. Well, here's an interesting stat. Outside of the only five Redbirds scored last night, uh, only three other Redbirds even took an attempt. So there was three attempts outside of the five that actually scored points. And they were all from Lee McChesney, so it was only one other dude. So six, six people only shot the ball. Are they, like, afraid to shoot the ball because they, they want to let the playmakers take chances, like Reeves and Freeman, even Josiah Strong? Like I, I don't know. It's dangerous to, if that's the mentality. Well, in the case of... Iman Washington, Abdu, and I, and Ryan Schmidt, they only played, Iman played five minutes, and the other two only played two minutes, so they really weren't out there for an extended period of time, which is, like, the only one thing I'll see, which, uh, I think Muller brought that up in the press conference, how he wasn't really making a lot of switches in the second half. Do you yeah, remember what he said? Yeah, he, he said they weren't making a lot of switches because they were down so many points. They were down 16 at the first half. I mean... It was, it was not good, so he said they didn't make really any switches. They just swapped some guys out. I think Reeves played, like, the whole second half, like, did not come out at all, and it's because they were down so much, and that was the lineup that was working. He trusted those guys, and a lot of the other guys on the bench are just, you know, they're, they're freshmen, or this is their first year actually getting playing time, so he, he just trusted the guys that were out there to try and get them back in this game, and that whenever they brought it close... 
they always had some sort of turnover that just brought Murray back and Murray would make a clutch bucket and then all of a sudden ISU's momentum would go away and then they'd be down 10 or 11 again. Yeah, they they really, it was, they traded runs the whole game. Because ISU got hot offensively in the second half, but Murray State was also hot. I remember at one point they were both four of their last five, just like trading bucket after bucket for a little bit. <laughs> Uh, I think at one point ISU may have gone a ten to nothing run, but the deficit was still like eight after the fact, so it didn't really make much of a difference. Um, the one thing I'll say about having everybody play so much, which Side Chapman played all three minutes, Antonio Reeds and Josiah Strong sat for only five minutes. Freeman didn't even start; he sat for ten, but. Uh, Maybe at some point they just got a little worn down towards like the six minute mark when it seemed like they lost their offensive rhythm. I don't know. I mean, I think at some point you gotta the defense needs to step up on the. I mean, the interior. I felt like they got so many easy layups, scoring baskets at will in the paint all night. I don't know who that's on, but at some point, I mean, we gotta. It, feels like it's been a consistent theme over the last couple of years. Just layup after layup against this defense. It, it's funny that you say that because Moeller said the same thing last night. He, he said the lineup that they had, they don't have like a big lineup. They have a tall lineup and they have like a small guard lineup and the small guard lineup was what they were running with last night. And they were just getting blitzed in the paint. Like they could not stop them from scoring easy layups and when they did they wouldn't get the offensive rebounds because the guards weren't cra crashing the the board they weren't going up for rebounds so they're getting beat on the glass like all the second half yeah Moe's a physical team and they showed that last night i mean I wonder why. I don't know why, but I feel like Moli State, they've had some NBA guys, Cameron Payne, John Lorraine the last couple of years, but I don't understand why ISU, I mean, ISU should be doing better than them. I mean, Ohio Valley is a lower conference than Missouri Valley. I mean, ISU has the stadium, they have the resources to be doing better than Moli State, but it's just not happening right now. Um, something that I wanted to bring up was about Kendall Lewis. Who I think is that leakage down below with the uh, uh, points in the paint, all those layups, and he was really supposed to be um, this really great defender mechanically and very athletic, according to Mueller. And I've just been unimpressed the whole year by his defensive effort. I just I don't get where the hype was. Maybe he hasn't gotten comfortable with something yet. Maybe he's not used to running that type of defense, but. I don't know where the hype is for his defensive skills yet. I think he's an athletic guy. I mean, he obviously has a lot of athleticism, but I still, I'm with you on that. I haven't, I want, I want to see a bit more of him, offensively and defensively, honestly, yeah. not just offensively. I, mean, I just haven't seen it yet, like you said. Yeah, he's put up eight points. I, I don't think he put up anything more than that in the previous two I don't games. I think either. so. No. Yeah, six, eight, eight. I mean, he's consistently putting up, like, upper, lower digits, but you still want a lot more from him. And, I mean, six, four, and seven rebounds is not really what you want to see either. I'd, I'd hope to see a little bit more. Especially on a smaller team, as Eric yeah. said, like a guard-heavy smaller team. Like, your bigger guys are going to have to carry your heavier load, which, I mean, it's unfair, but it's true. Like, if there's not enough guys out there that are tall enough to get those boards, the players that are need to be able to do it.
which Muller actually said something interesting last night about their rebounding, where um, you know a lot of it's gonna fall on the on the like forwards down low in the center, but he wants to see their guards coming in more to make plays on rebounds since they're a smaller team that they're gonna those. Those guys are going to have to beat out um, whoever. That's a fair point. Which, yeah, that is a fair point. Um, I, I don't know. I just think there's a lot more to be seen from a rebounding perspective and just a down low perspective all around. I mean, actually, side Chapman has been a, a nice uh, revelation because I didn't expect much out of him. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, after he opted out last year, I mean, I felt like made transfer out but he's come back and he's shown really good mm-hmm. this season I'm yeah happy with his he did in, enter the transfer portal but decided to come back um kind of going off what you said though jake i think it's, i started looking at this after you said it i mean mark freeman had four boards last night as compared to you know fleming's three let's see josiah strong only had two and i know i know that you don't expect super rebounds from those two either but freeman's probably the shortest guy on the team or at least out of the starting lineup and he's getting up there and getting those boards as a point guard so I think that's impressive in itself, and maybe something like Dan Muller was saying adds to his point. I thought the decision to start Fleming over Freeman was interesting. I get, I get it in theory because he had six turnovers against Eastern Michigan. That's why he was set. But also, I feel like Fleming has, a, if he plays the same amount of minutes, he has the same chance to put up the same amount of turnovers because he's a turnover machine too. Yeah. So I mean, he ends up playing a lot more minutes than Fleming. Uh, twice to be exact, but uh, I don't know. I just thought it was weird that we kept him out of there. I feel like he's a much better point guard than Fleming. Nothing against Fleming. I feel no. like he's very good when he runs out with the second team and like Antonio out there. But I just think Freeman's a much more explosive player. He's probably gonna um, find more opportunities. And he's just insanely fast. I mean, he he's used to being the guy, right? Like, he was yeah. the guy before, and now he's here at ISU, and he's looking to be one of those top three players that helps set up Antonio Reeves, who's an NBA talent, and things like that, or probably an NBA talent. So I think Mark Freeman's a you know great player to have in your team, so you're going to need to give him as many minutes as possible, which, as you said, off the bench, he had 30 last night. Yeah. And I think Dan saw that at halftime, you know, Fleming started the second half instead of Fleming because you need he needs some offensive juice. They were down 16 at that point. Fleming's not going to get you a lot of offensive juice. No. So he started Fleming coming out of the second half. And I think Fleming had a nice second half. He made some nice baskets. He had a nice bounce back from the Eastern Michigan game. I have a weird take, but I almost like that Howard Fleming didn't take any shots last night. Because he was 0 for 2 in the season opener, 1 for 4 against Eastern Michigan. And I feel like that's mainly because he takes really bad shots sometimes. Like, I, he makes me question his shot decision at times, but uh, I thought maybe, I can't remember, you know, specifically every time he had the ball in his hands, but I was thinking maybe he just had a better thought process and wasn't trying to force something yesterday. Right. I mean, there's a difference between shot selection and just being afraid to shoot if you're not hitting shots. I mean, I think maybe it'll take some time, but he'll get back into it. I know, Carter, you look like you had something to say, maybe something similar. About Fleming? Yeah. About, I mean, I feel like he knows his role. He's not taking a lot of shots. I don't see, I mean, I feel like he knows that he's not going to score a lot of points. He knows he's mainly able, he's done a good job of rebounding this year, I feel like. He's crashed the bullets a little bit, and he's done a good job of this passing. But he just, I mean, he's not a scholar, as you guys alluded to. I think, like, what would turn him into a more productive player is just more minutes, because he's really young. 
once he got more point or more playing time last year, he became a lot more consistent. Yeah. And I feel like just giving him like he had eight and fifteen at home. He had thirty two in Eastern Michigan, and that's probably because of uh, uh Freeman's turnovers. Which actually he only had two turnovers in that double overtime game, which is a good sign. But uh anyway he, yeah, I think more playing time would be a, very beneficial to him. Well, how does that affect, though, with Freeman coming in, as we talked about just a couple minutes ago? Like, how is that going to affect Fleming's minutes? Because, I mean, as you saw, Fleming got the start, but Freeman played double the amount of minutes that he did. Uh, they were on court sometimes yesterday. I I, I think you can play both of them. <laughs> I It was like one point where they... I don't know if it was intentionally, but there was a couple of possessions where it looked like they like alternated who was bringing the ball up. So, Maybe just a play call or something. Do you notice that? Yeah, no, one hundred percent. They were alternating when they were on the court together. I think it was some sort of molar play call, but I I don't know. It didn't happen very often because obviously Fleming really wasn't out there at the same time as Freeman was uh, for too many minutes. But they were out there for I think about like three or four minutes. Yeah, I oh yeah, keep going. I just. I kind of disagree with you, Jake. I don't think they should play together that often. I feel like they're both trying to do the same thing to facilitate. Freeman's main job should be to facilitate, and then the shots will come. Because I think he's a decent enough shooter. But I feel like you can't play together because you need you still need the down low presence, and you basically have to play together. Because then you know you got Reeves at the three, and you got Josiah. I mean, Joe, how is Josiah going to do that? I just think it's yeah, that's fair. Difficult. I agree that. to that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. The only thing I could see is if. They tried to like play him in the two a little bit more, but I don't think he's. He could play the two a little bit, but I don't have think Fleming go in the two. two, huh? Have Fleming go in the two? Yeah, yeah. I, I could see that, but again, kind of like Carter said, like I feel like if if I'm gonna trust one of them as a shooter more, and there's nothing against Fleming, but if I'm gonna trust one of them more for a shot, it's got to be Freeman at this point. Yeah, they can both facilitate the game. That's not a question. But yeah. um, I had one more thing I wanted to bring up. Well, I wanted to check Josiah's stat, strong stat, before I brought this up. He's he's played decently so far. He's 9.7 points a game average. I would like to see a little bit more out of him, though. Um, I haven't been overly impressed with his shooting so far. I mean, it was fine against UNCW and Murray State. Eastern Michigan was rough, 4 for 13, uh, 3 for 10 from three-pointer not that he's doing poorly but I would like to see him take steps from last year because this is about the season average he had last year at the end of the season um, so it's not that he's playing poorly but he definitely oh he averaged 11.5 last year which is three games in so I could just be overreacting but uh, what were you guys thoughts on strong early on I like to see them both of them too we haven't seen that big senior step stuff this year I mean He's one, of, he's one of the guys that you expect to lead the team. And I feel like, especially in the Eastern Michigan game, late in the game, double overtime, he just he was on the cold, but he just disappeared. I didn't see much from him late in that long, double overtime loss. He, he almost hit that shot, but you're right. Yes. Before that, there was really not much, and I yeah. noticed that too. And that shot should have gone in. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, yeah. I, I thought it did. Yeah. Um, yeah. So regardless of the personnel, what's next for Redbird Basketball? I mean, they got the Cancun Challenge coming up this next week. After Saturday, they're going to Cancun next week. Uh, and then they have a bunch of out-of-conference stuff, but then they got that Missouri State game on December 1. So what do you guys want to see from them, you know, at least before we have that conference opener? 
play 40 minutes of basketball instead of having one really bad half and one really good half. It's kind of inconsistent, and it's happened the past few games. And it even happened in the first game. They didn't have a good first half. They had a really good second half. They, they beat UNCW, and then they had a great first half against Eastern Michigan and just fell apart in the second half. And in this game, horrible first half. You're down 16 at halftime. You can't win games when you're down that no. much. Muller said that himself. He's like, you can't get in that much of a hole and then expect to come back against a decent team like Murray State. Yeah, I just want to see him k- compete in Cancun. I mean, St. Louis is going to be a tough squad, an A-10 squad. I mean, they're going to have some tough games coming up. This only State game is going to be very tough here in early December. I mean, mm-hmm. they got some all- NBA talent, Mosley and uh, Prim, that look very good. So, we'll see. The one thing I'm specifically looking for, I'm looking for Antonio to stay aggressive. I want to see how long he can keep up this good stretch because he went 29-32 and then 20 last night. And uh, here's my thing. Antonio hasn't always been the most aggressive player, so seeing him play aggressively this year is a little different. My biggest concern is he's going to have a bad game because, of course, you can't have a good game every day. He's going to shoot poorly, and then he's going to – come back out and not be the same aggressive player. Right. Which I really don't want to see that from him because I feel like that's just a straight step back after everything he's done this year because he's been – wow, I've never seen him play like that. He was always kind of a timid player. Last year against Drake, he played really well when he led them with, I believe, like 27 or 28. Um, He played aggressively that game, but he's – it's it's a whole completely different mindset for Antonio, I feel like. Well, I mean, I feel like he can't slip out of that aggressiveness because I feel like he needs to realize at this point that it's a tough job to have, but if you're going to average 25 points, you need to be able to do that. You can't get scared and all of a sudden say, okay, I'm going to take a step back this game because I didn't shoot well last game. If they're going to be decent, especially in conference, they're going to need him to be their star. And I think he knows that. Yeah, the summer of Miami did him wonders. He's a totally different. I mean, he's Agreed. taking long, long threes, but I mean, most of them have looked very close, have not gone in. I mean, he's really just shown a completely different element to his game this year. Yeah, every three he took last night, it was like on point. It either. Yeah. I don't like him shooting from the corner. No, he very much. that one really badly. I, I don't like him from the corner, but I love him from the top of the key and those. Uh, yeah. And he's looked really good. Like, his three ball has just looked so much improved. It, I mean, it's almost spot on every time. And when he makes them, it's just, it's nothing but net. And it's just, it's pretty good to see. Yeah, he was he was never a bad three-point shooter. And I don't even know if his statistics are better this year, but he has looked better just shooting. Like his yeah, maybe he's taking better player. looks, to be honest. It, I mean, like you said, there was that one in the corner that he airballed. But, like, I think in general he's taking better shots. Because he is just playing more aggressive, and he is looking for those opportunities. Oh, yeah, he's got a significantly higher three-point percentage in his career average. He career His career average was 310 coming in, and it's 462 so far in three games. And obviously he's not going to keep that up through a full season, no. but, I mean, it's still impressive that he's looking this good early on. No, I mean, he was 5 for 8 against UNCW, which is crazy. Um, you guys have anything else you wanted to touch on? Um, I feel like we should say a little something about ISU football. <laughs> they lost again. Um, they really, and Spack said this a couple press conferences ago, they really play to their opponent, and it's getting really bad with that North Dakota game. Because Western Illinois, I got why they had their breakdowns because they're pass-heavy. 
offense and no one's used to that in the valley but really north dakota it seemed like they should have won that game they couldn't really get anything going on offense only put up seven points um yeah you guys have any thoughts about that game did anyone say four or five and six in our like but yeah, they did. Ken, Ken did. One, one person did. Ken did. Well, a lot of us said six and five. Ken said five and six. I would say four and seven. No, yours said three and eight. Oh yeah, yours was really. Down. He was. He was. Well, he was close. <laughs> if they lose Indiana State, it's four and seven. But if they lose yeah. Indiana State, this season was a complete bust. I mean, this is well, a really young team, but like, you the Western Illinois loss was bad. Obviously, they. Because it was a fourth quarter breakdown, that that's been a problem a couple times. They, there was a fourth quarter, late third quarter, fourth quarter breakdown against Southern Illinois, complete second half breakdown against Missouri State. I mean, they've lost these games in the late stretches of them. Even the North Dakota State game, they were in it till the fourth quarter. Their offense just never comes alive late in games and their defense just gets so tired from being out on the field so much that then they're checked out by the fourth quarter and it's been a struggle i think coach back needs to delegate a little bit on the offensive side i mean it's been a couple of years the defensive I mean, he's proven he's a defensive coach he's a defensive post coach and the offensive side the last couple of years ever since you know that national championship game appearance has just kind of stalled out a little bit it feels like they just don't have i mean they had james robinson but other than that i mean the qb play has been suspect for a long time now i feel like we need to see a bit more on the offensive side from spack what do you guys think about um him benching jefferson for uh wearing i think it's the right call jefferson has really not looked the same ever since he got injured earlier in the year. I watched him in that North Dakota State game, homecoming. He was missing really easy throws, like like just wide open, like six, seven-yard throws that he would have normally hit, and he was just missing them, and he just has not looked the same. And they've won one game since – or two games, excuse me, but it, I don't know. It's just – and I think it's the right call. I like Waring's potential a bit, and I think Waring is a better passer. He proved that in that Northern Iowa game with that really nice uh, overtime pass. Well, kind of like Carter said, I'm interested to see Jackson Waring's progression over the years to come under a pretty defensive coach. I mean, how much are we going to see him improve going forward? I hope he does a lot because that he could be really solid for us if we give him enough open targets and stuff like that. Uh, which ISU's receiving core has been very weak. I mean, Nagel, he's solid, but outside of that, I feel like you don't have much. Jabari Kepper, I feel like they talk about him a lot, but I honestly haven't been that impressed. They call him the number one receiver, and I feel like he definitely is not because Nagel, first of all, should still be leading the team in yards. I would assume because Kepper has had, he's had a decent amount of touchdown catches, but he has not had that many receiving yards. Yeah, he has way. Austin Nagel has 333, and he has 152. I don't know why they were calling him the number one receiver last week. They have a chance to go above uh, 500 at home, though, against Indiana State. They can go 3-2 and two at home on the season, which would, I mean, a small win in a, in a particular season that didn't have very many. Do they only have one win on the road? No, they had two. Two. Be Eastern and uh, they upset who was, oh, South Dakota. South Dakota, yeah. You guys have anything else about football? I'm pretty much done. I, I'm trying to think who who was that uh, transfer we got from Notre Dame at uh, wide receiver. 
because he was like a four-star recruit out of high school, and they haven't used him at all this year. I'm not entirely sure. Was it Micah Jones? Might have been Micah Jones. Um, it'll. I'm pretty sure it'll. Tell yeah, you. Notre Dame. He he played at Notre Dame. He was a four-star recruit at high school, and we haven't even seen him much this year. And he's a he's a junior, so we just have not seen him at all. And I I don't know if that's like an off the field thing, but I mean you got a guy that played at Notre Dame, and you're not even using him in your wide receiver core that obviously needs some help. Yeah. That that also reminded me of like I believe it was about 2019 probably and last year actually we had I see had Taylor Grimes who was a Virginia Tech transfer I want to say and they just didn't get him involved very much and I was always curious about that I don't know I feel like I see was just so ground and pound they don't really care to develop their receivers as much. Maybe that's not the right way to phrase it, but I just feel like they're lacking in uh, how they're doing it. Oh, I think it was actually Cole Blackman who came from Virginia Tech. Oh, no, it was Virginia, yeah. And Spack kind of talks about it. He's like, you know, most teams in the Missouri Valley are run first. It's all about the run game. And I think the thing is, a lot of these teams are developing those those dual threat quarterbacks, and I I think Jefferson his legs worked really well, but his passing game just struggled so much. So like you didn't have that dual threat, you really just had the the run threat. But the guy was getting hurt when he was running the ball, shoulder injury, and then you need your guy to throw, so you can't really have that. And Waring's not that fast either, um, so it's just very interesting to see. Like them try see what they will do in the future, but if they don't win this uh, Indiana State game, we'll probably have some questions just because you want to finish out. Even though obviously your playoff hopes have been down ever since that Western game, they basically needed to win out after that Western game uh, or before that Western game to have a chance. But uh, now it's just they got to finish strong. They got to win another game. And, it always uh, it always feels good to finish strong, right? Like I'm gonna use a golf analogy. Like when you when you're on the 18th tee box and you and you haven't hit a good drive all day, and then you hit a nice drive on the 18th tee, like that, it makes you come back. You know what I mean? So to use a bad analogy like that, it, it always helps to start bad or to end bad. Or, well, I can't talk. It always helps to end well. I don't have anything else. You guys have anything else? No, I think that, that wraps it up for football. Yeah, we talked about a lot of stuff today. Um, well, Carter, thanks for coming in. Yeah, it was great. You. I had a great time. Yeah. Um, are you on the fire Dan Muller train? Because I remember my sophomore year, you were not. No, we'll see. I'm gonna give him. I'm gonna give him. A little bit more time. I'm not. Yeah, I'll give him a little bit more time. I want to see how this team develops. Yeah, because I think this team has a high ceiling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, remember to follow along with all things ISU Athletics at deadline.com. Follow our Twitters at the underscore Vidette and our sports account at Vidette underscore sports. Um, yeah, roll birds. Stay high.